Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, good morning. Good to see everybody here today. How many of you have have uh, had the the amazing experience of Facebook on Wednesday nights, the devotional? It's seven. Because see, I'm picking up from where I left off, so. No. Okay. Uh, I invite you to to uh, to log on to the ministry page. Um, it's my ministry page right now, but I, I share it after I get finished. The reason is because I have several people on that ministry page that are not members of the church that are signing on in different different parts of the country. And so I, I've kept that one at this point. But then when I get finished, I share it with the Switzerland Baptist Church page. So I would really encourage you, if you haven't done that yet, right now on the Switzerland Church page, we have 25 followers, and that's great. Uh, the idea of that is that members of the church can share that, share that page with others that you know. And they don't necessarily all have to be in Switzerland County. You know, they can be family members, they can be people that you know that don't have a church home, but I would really encourage you that that is an outreach initiative for the church, and I try to switch things up, I change, I put some, some posts on there from YouTube, and there are announcements that are there, and I'm inviting uh, church members to post announcements or prayer requests on that page, because right now that's a major venue. Uh, it, that people go to, and it's it's not it's non-threatening. It's not like knocking on doors or uh, you know passing out tracts, which are fine. But it's a venue that we can use. So, Switzerland Baptist Church page, go and like that page. And when you get on Facebook, as things are posted, it will come up. But particularly on Wednesday nights, um, if if you're interested in kind of a, a devotional time. I'm going through the Gospel of Mark, and I, I know we, we have maybe eight or ten that come on at that point. And then at 7.30, around there, I share it with our, our Switzerland Baptist Church page. So it's just, it's just a time we've been talking about, you know, setting time aside through the course of the week, sacred space, just a quiet time where you can kind of draw away and do, do some uh, reading in the Scripture. So I encourage you uh, to do that. On Wednesday night, we talked about getting into the vessel, getting into the boat, and there's going to be resistance, and we talked a little bit about some of the resistance as as the disciples were told to get into the boat to go to the other side, and how the wind came against them, and it was painful for them to row the boat. Jesus invites us to get into a vessel where we experience him, not just on Sunday morning, but if if we're going to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, if we're going to learn, sometimes it's painful. and Sometimes you feel the resistance, perhaps, of the culture coming at you. Sometimes it's our own resistance. Sometimes it's tough to learn. We think we got it all. We think we, we have everything that we need to know, and I'm okay, 
and you know I'm I'm doing fine I'm I'm making a living but God calls us not just to make a living he calls us to create a life and he is our creator and in that process you know I, I talk to parents sometimes or I have in the past and uh, I hope you'll excuse me referencing teaching in the classroom but that's kind of my DNA uh, so I'm I'm uh, there, there are students that parents will come to parent night or whatever and they'll say he just or he, he or she just doesn't want to learn they're lazy they just don't want to learn and I said well you know there, there is some res- obviously some resistance for us to think you know I don't need to learn anything else I'm doing okay but the same thing happens with us at times we're going to look at a situation where this was the situation with the scribes and Pharisees and the hypocrites, the ones who contaminated the temple because they thought they had it all. They had God all figured out. And then here comes Jesus. And likewise, Jesus invites us to get in this vessel, in this boat, toward the other side, learning, growing, experiencing. It's not just being a religious robot that can feed back stuff that we learned way back in vacation Bible school. That's fine, but God wants to deepen our awareness of his presence and allow us to find a path toward deeper devotion to him. That's what the disciples had to learn, and they learned it the hard way. And many of us go through the same thing where we, we want to, to, for Jesus to be Lord of our lives, but often it's the hard way. Rather than to establish a time where we, we spend time with God, lead us not into temptation. Lord's Prayer, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. And sometimes it takes that trial, that tribulation, that temptation for us to grow, to be broken so that he might recreate us into his own image, in what he wants us to be. Now, that's the hard part. If you look in chapter 6 of Mark, and up at the, the end of verse 51, Mark chapter 6, at the end of verse 51, when Jesus got in the boat with them, the wind, the resistance, ceased. And they were utterly astonished. That is what Jesus talks about when he talks about life abundant. That we don't just exist with some religious conviction or some experience that we had in the past. So I told you, my wife is here today. If you want to ask me about my relationship with my wife, I probably won't go back and tell you about my wedding. I might, if you ask me. It was a great experience. But I'll tell you what our conversation was like coming up from Louisville here this morning. I'll tell you about my wife's, you know, the relationship that continues to grow. And sometimes it's painful. And there are times when, you know, she's trying to tell me something. Am I embarrassing you? Oh, well, forget it. 
where she'll tell me something and she has to tell me, you know, three or four times. And usually she thinks I'm not listening, but it, the fact is she's telling me in this ear and I'm practically deaf in this ear, so it's her fault that I don't listen. I have never seen so many women scowl at me at one time. So the, the point of the matter is sometimes the relationship overrides the challenges, right? If we truly want to grow in our, our relationship with God, sometimes it is like crossing a stormy sea with the resistance coming to us or sometimes our outright rebellion. But when Jesus' presence is moving with us, the wind ceases. And we're utterly astounded. When was the last time that you were utterly astounded by what God had done in your life or around you? You know, when was the last time? Think about it. I think God continues to do amazing things around us that astound us. Here's one. And we're going to, we are going to do a talk back here in a few minutes, okay? I promise. But here, here's one. Walter. Walter's a sophomore. Walter is like a wild hare on steroids. He comes into my class, which is Bible. I'm supposed to go through the whole, from Genesis to Revelation, with a group of sophomores. And every day, we have a different lesson. My Socratic method is not to lecture. I enjoy the give and take, the feedback. I need to know where my students are before I can expect them to grow to where hopefully the curriculum will take them. And so I begin to do that. Walter is not rebellious. He's not disrespectful. He's just goofy. And you can't help but love the kid, but I'm in the vessel now with Walter. This is my painful experience now. How do I fashion a lesson to grab Walter's attention? And there are some times where you're doing something and you think you don't have their attention and they're, they're really listening. But I try to, to do the, the give and take the feedback. Walter's the type who comes in because I have, there's a relaxed atmosphere in my class. He just comes in and he takes off his shoes and just lays on the, on the, the, uh, the, the ground, on the floor, and puts his feet up on the desk and does this. Now, I could look at that and say, Walter, that's against the rules. And then what I've done is I've become so defensive about the rules that I forget about the kid that's in my class. That's where he is. Now, no, I don't like that, but I need to reach out to Walter where he is. That's my journey. I say all that to say, by the time we got through the first quarter, Walter comes in, and the first thing he does when he comes into my room is he says, he called me Doc, and he said, Doc, I love you. That's like sick him to a dog. And we have this rapport. And we get together. They're not in their desks anymore. 
We go outside. We sit in the bleachers on the football field. We gather like he does on the floor. Y'all, come in. Take shoes off if you want to. Now, I'm not supposed to do that. The rules say you don't, you know, you have to have, I am Dr. Shoemaker to these kids. And when they come in, they don't own the classroom. You own the classroom. And I do. And I share it. By the end of the third quarter, Walter came to me and said, I have been at this school since I was a kindergartner. This is the first time I really understood the Bible, what the message of God, how he is continuing to create through who he's created, us. He said, I realize God created me because he's given me gifts to use to create what he wants in this world. I said, that's great, Walter. He said, you know what? I got baptized last Sunday. And he said, you know, I really need your help because I want to be a youth minister. And that's, that's his plan. He's still goofy. But you know what? I am so glad that Jesus uses people who are goofy like me. That gets me up in the morning. I'm utterly astounded by what God does with people like you and people like me who learn, because of getting into the vessel, learn how to love people more than we love the rules and the regulations. If we don't get there, we're going to lose a generation. I am totally convinced. And what's my biblical rationale? In Mark chapter 7, look in Mark chapter 7, and verse 1. And this is where hopefully you can formulate some, some feedback with me today. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes, Now, the Pharisees were experts in their religion. They knew the law, and they promoted the law. They were experts on religious traditions as well. And the scribes were those who wrote down the oral law. They developed their religion. Now, I'm going to share something that may be a little bit astounding to you. Jesus was not a Christian. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was greater than any religion. He he actually articulated God's will through Judaism. If anything, he was Jewish, but he wasn't exclusively any man-made religion. All right? In fact, he could have established a religion, but that's not why he came. And he didn't come to do away with Judaism. He came to fulfill it. The intention of the laws. The intention of the laws. Let me ask you, how many of you know what the intention of the Jewish laws were to be? We know the Ten Commandments, right? The first four deal with our relationship with God. Love God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The last six 
deal with our relationship with each other and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God, then you're going to love all that God loves, right? And the laws and the traditions and the rituals all had to do with how we try to make sense out of something that's incomprehensible. But it's not those things, those traditions, and those bylaws, and and all of those things, which are fine to give us order. But when they confine us that that's what we worship, then we're in trouble. If we want others to adhere to our law rather than to experience our love, we're in trouble. And that's what's happening here. So it's not, the, it's not about the law as such which helps formulate how we, we draw some boundaries in our lives. But sometimes we have to go beyond just seeing Jesus as a Christian or a Jew. We have to see him as the Son of God who knows the hearts of people. And how did Jesus reach out to other people? The temptation in the wilderness. What were the three temptations? What was one of them? Turn, yeah, turn, turn these stones into bread. Feed their bellies, have a potluck, and they'll come. All right, that's one. What's another one? Yeah, Satan said, if you bow down before me, I will give you all the powers of the world. Okay? So power, feasting, and what was the other one? Yeah, throw yourself off the pillar, the pillar of the temple, have my angels catch you, bring you to, do something miraculous, and they'll follow you. What was he saying? Go ahead and be Messiah, but be my Messiah. Be the people's Messiah. Do what they want, and they'll follow you. And he could have done that. And he could have started a whole new religion. Let's call it Jesusism. And people would have followed him because he did those wonderful things. He fed their bellies, he entertained them with miracles, and he exerted power over them. But what Satan was actually saying is, you don't have to get in the vessel of the crucifixion to do it. You don't have to die to do it. You see the temptation? You does, it's not going to cost you anything, Jesus, to save people. And he could have done all those things and not gone to the cross and no one would have been saved. We can do all these things. We can have all these rituals. We can have all of the, the fluff, the pomp, and the circumstance, and, and all the resources, and draw a crowd and have a huge membership and nobody be saved. Because getting in the vessel means that you're going to go up against the winds of resistance from the culture, which is what Jesus did. It's going to cost the body of Christ something in order to reach out and get folks into the, into the fold. The folks get saved, born again. It's not easy. And that's what they were learning. That's what the disciples were learning. So you have the scribes now and Pharisees, they're they're coming to him, and they saw that some of his disciples (laughs) 
weren't working within their boundaries. They were doing things that the law said you couldn't do. They were dining with publicans and sinners. They were eating with dirty hands. And that, in Leviticus 11, that was forbidden. Look in the text. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews didn't eat unless they washed their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. Of course, in our culture, that takes on a whole new meaning, right? We do need to continue to wash our hands. But they thought in order for them to be acceptable, these disciples now, with the, the Pharisees, were excommunicating them from heaven. Excommunicating them from the temple that those Pharisees had already corrupted themselves. It was all about their power. It was all about their rituals. Their, their, they began to worship their traditions rather than to use their traditions and the rituals as a tool to love people, to reach out to people. And when they came to the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash in front of everybody. And there were many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? It doesn't matter that they were reaching out to people who were hungry. That was about sitting down at, at a feast with people who, were, who needed nourishment. It was about washing their hands first. You see any parallels with that? This is how we do things. Even though we, there are times when we have to put those good things aside to do godly things like reaching out to people who are out there beyond the perimeter, who don't even know. Do you know there are people right now in, in our culture that have, that have no idea who Jesus is? And we invite them into our church. I'm just generally speaking. We'll invite them into our church, and they're terrified to enter the door because they don't know what goes on in that big building. That's our culture now. What are they going to expect me to do when I get there? What kind of weird things go on? I've heard people take up rattlesnakes. You know. Mark, you can do that later. <laughs> Not right now. <laughs> so here's the problem. He called them hypocrites. And he quotes Isaiah. This people honors me with their lips... But their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he said to them, you leave the commandment of God to love God and to love others. That's the commandment. And hold to the tradition of men. We're called to love God and all that God loves. That's our salvation that we become extensions of God's love 
for all that God loves. Now, that's not saying we don't have boundaries. That's not saying we don't have convictions. Of course we do. But when our convictions become greater than our Christ-likeness with others, we become like a scribe and Pharisee. And we can criticize them. We can say, yeah, they're casting out. Even the disciples are excommunicated from the temple, let alone people that don't follow their rules or their, their laws or regulations. Jesus said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Are traditions more important to us? Keeping our traditions, maintaining the system, than actually embarking upon getting in the vessel and doing our mission to care for others. That's the question. No wonder Jesus got crucified. (laughs) Because he was the light that exposed their hypocrisy. You know, I look at that and I, I really, really think the disciples must have been astonished that this one who was considered just a Jewish rabbi following all the laws, went beyond the laws to, to actually love people. When we learn to love people, then we see the body of Christ enabled and revitalized. All people. So I've asked you, um, and, and Don, if you'll, if you'll come at this time, um, over the past several weeks, Yeah, he's. You want to do it? Okay. Over the past couple of weeks, you know, I've uh, I've tried to share from the Gospel of Mark, you know, just a, p- a few things that were more prophetic in nature, some things that might spark some some new thinking, um, or mindfulness when it comes to coming to the text, and I don't know how that has played out with you. I know, you know some have, have given me some feedback, but I thought this morning what I'd like to do, because this is challenging. Uh, we're, we're in this story in one way or another. We're either a disciple that got in the boat or, or one that stayed on the shore. Uh, we are a scribe or Pharisee. We may be one that someone just recently has said, let's go to lunch. And we, we just, you know, you've sat down and talked with with someone with dirty hands. And we all tend to have dirty hands. But in, instead of just sharing, well, this is, this is what the, ch- the Baptist church believes, and that's fine, but instead of getting to the doctrine and the, the, the formulations of our faith, can we love people first? Can we just share the love of Jesus without feeling obligated to share something that we've memorized through Sunday school? And I, and I don't know if, if that's clicking with you or not, but that's what we see in the example of Jesus from the, the first lesson I've shared. He showed that example to now. So can we see ourselves as God's family? 
reaching out to others where they are. So anyway, so I've, I've shared, a, uh, you know, some lessons with you, and I'd like to just hear some, some feedback from you. What, what did you hear? What's your takeaway? What are you still not sure about? I've said a lot of stuff, and I just want to pause and take a breath and see if there's anything that has, has uh, resonated with you or something that, that you would want to share with me. Well, I'll start since I've got the microphone anyway. Um, in our culture today, and I'm not talking about people who are inside the church who, who are Christians, who are believers, but other folks when almost just anything goes, you know. And I'm sorry, where almost anything goes, I just didn't have it close enough. Um, when they know you're a believer, they'll, they'll come to you sometimes and say, well, why is this wrong? Well, why is that wrong? Um, where does it say it in the Bible? You know, um, and it's difficult to answer that. I mean, a lot of times I'll say, well, I didn't write the Bible. I don't make the rules. You know what I mean? I just love Jesus. But, you know, I, and, and this is what Jesus has done for me. How do you, how do you address that? When a, when a non-believer comes to you saying, basically, you know, they're trying to defend whatever it is, you know. Um, yeah. Um, first of all, it's great that a non-believer would come to you that would, ta- that would put that trust in you. So I, I take that very seriously. I, I don't expect to regulate someone's behavior in a conversation like that. It's not going to happen initially. What I thought, let's, let's talk about what, let's see what, what Jesus would have to say about that. Because everybody, no, there are no disclaimers for Jesus. You can mark it down. There is something about Jesus that resonates with, with all people, even people who are rebellious. So I start with, tell me your story. Um, that's one thing. The other is, I don't define you by your demons. You're safe with me. So I, it, it may be a long-term conversation because of what people hear that the church says that can be very demeaning to say the, the most, okay? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've had people come to me and they'll tell me, well, you know, I'm the, I do this, I practice this, or I'm, I'm labeled this, and you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. And I'll say, well, you know what? I don't define you by that. Tell me who you are. Tell me, because you're, obviously you're questioning. Obviously there's something else here. Sometimes I'll get a little more direct if I know the person, and I'll say, so how's that working for you? And it's not. I don't believe that that does work for people. And I think there, there is a restlessness, there is a loneliness, a hopelessness with our culture right now, and a lot of it has to do with what you're talking about. So if I come at it with, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I sense that you're laboring over this. And at least you're, you're looking in the right direction. But I'm not, I'm not going to condemn that person. That's not my task. As a Christian, I'm not called to judge anybody. I'm called to be an ambassador of salvation. 
And sometimes that's tough. That doesn't mean I don't have convictions. I think that that behavior is wrong, but more unhealthy than it is wrong. So that, that's where I, I approach that. And I get, I mean, <laughs> there are times when I get triggered intentionally uh, talking to, I had a, a, a pen pal who was an atheist. And this guy didn't know I was a pastor at the time. He, and he wrote this terrible, terrible letter to the editor about uh, organized religion and getting Ten Commandments off of the public square. I didn't know he was one of the top three militant atheists in the country at the time. But one of my church members came to me and said, you need to read this and you need to respond to this guy and tell him, you know, he's hell bound. And I mean, she was just all over the place. And I said, well, I'll look at it. And I found out where the guy's address was, home address. I started writing him a letter. We wrote back and forth for six months. And this was before email. And I would write a 30-page letter, and he would write a 40-page, and then a 60-page. And I had to ask my wife to read the letter that I would respond to before I sent it because he triggered me. It was a great exercise in getting in the vessel. It was painful because I wanted to tell him, you know. But here's what happened. Over that six months, we began to develop a rapport. He still didn't know that I was a pastor. I didn't tell him. And we had this ongoing conversation. I say all that to say that he finally wrote me a letter and he said, this is ridiculous. You're not going to change my mind. I'm not going to change your mind. Let's stop doing this. But his letters would include cartoons, graphics of Jesus. How do I say this with finesse with children here? Doing immoral things with his disciples because that was his orientation. He had 12 men. And he would make little comments to trigger me. And he did. <laughs> there were times when he would put horns on Jesus saying he was, he was evil. So we quit that, that uh, pen pal thing. And I learned that his dad died. So I sent him a card. And it wasn't religious. I just said, I understand how you feel. My dad died six months ago. I understand how painful that is. And I just want you to know that you're in my thoughts. He wrote me back. I have the letter that I keep with me. He wrote me back and said, of all of the letters and condolences he'd received, this one meant most to him, his Christian critic. And he got to the, he told me all about his dad's last days and then he got to the end and he said, if there is a God, Brian, may he bless you. Now this is the third most popular militant atheist in the country. And we got to the point because it was an expression not of doctrine or not of condemnation for his behavior. He also had some other issues like the one I just told you about that kept him out of church. It wasn't that, it was on the level of human empathy. I get it. It's like you know, the, the old Bill Clinton, I feel your pain, you know, but it was, it was real. That kind of level that moves beyond the political and the cultural stuff to get to the heart of people. And I, I really believe a lot of the stuff you're talking about, people don't want to be, they don't know anything else. 
Um, and that's not, not everybody. And there are some you just have to say, you know, wipe the dust off. But you planted a seed that God can use. Most, most people I talk to today, you all, don't reject Jesus. They, they just have yet to receive him. And one of the reasons they don't receive him is because of the way that some of our churches have behaved. I mean, if you want to be honest, we're scribes and Pharisees sometimes with people. You change, you, you come to my conviction, we will make you after our image, and if you don't, then you're not a part of us. And that's so not Jesus. Twelve disciples, they were all different. But God brought them together in their uniqueness, in their diversity. I don't want you to be another me. Please don't. And I can't be another you. That's great. Let's be who we are with the gifts and talents, with the questions, the weaknesses, the strengths. And when we're honest about that, when we're real about that, when we say, you know, I'm sorry for the way I behaved. I'm sorry for the, the way the church treated you. I'm sorry about that. But that's not Jesus. That's okay. Along the same lines Debbie just mentioned, uh, and I know there's many sitting in here that have experienced the same thing that I have, when an unbeliever says, a loving God, why would a, if he was a truly a loving God, why would he let that happen to me? Mm-hmm. And then I, and obviously they don't know the Bible because all you got to do is read in the Bible, he let, allowed his own son to die for our sins and to see they don't they don't see that God has already experienced this before you've ever gotten there he was there before you and that's and it's hard to explain to them but along those same same lines the people a non-believer sees people that claim to be a Christian and then live a lifestyle that doesn't follow those same what in their mind should be the right the Christian way of life, you know, and and that makes it more difficult to reach out to them. Yeah, I mean, all you got to do is look look at what has gone on in the the Catholic faith through the the last you well, know Southern Baptist Church or Southern Baptist Church, right? Been a youth minister four times. Going into the youth ministry, and I was to have a mentor who was the senior pastor. Every one of those pastors messed up morally. What do I do with that? I'm a young, I'm a young minister. I'm supposed to have those examples, right? And I think all of us could probably relate to what you're talking about, that the church has, has often behaved badly. At the same time, if you look around and you see when there is a disaster, when there is something where someone is suffering, who are they going to call on? Not Ghostbusters. Who do people call on when they're going through those sort of things? What's happening right now in southeast Kentucky? The church has has risen up. 
It's an expectation that even atheists have. Hospitals, social service organizations, all the way down the line, if we didn't have the church as fallible as it is, as human as it is, where are, those, where are the atheist hospitals? Where are those social service organizations founded on there being no God? No, there is a sensitivity to us when people hurt that we know the example of Jesus is we show up. So I would come back to that believer and say, yeah, you know what? A loving God displays his love in astounding ways every day when these things happen in a world that we have created. God still shows up. You may not see it. In the Gospel of John, every one of the seven miracles is seen only by those who experience it, who cooperate and participate in what God is doing. Other people get the, reap the benefits of those miracles, but they don't see it happen because they're not participating. They're not really aware of what Jesus is doing. Give me those six stone water pots, fill them to the brim. Turns water into wine. Who saw what happened? The servants who obeyed him that brought him the water pots. Now, they're in the background, but everybody else got the wine, right? But they didn't see the miracle. And, and part of it is we're not in the vessel to see the amazing things, the astounding things that God is doing around us, but we're still in a sin-infested world. And I just ask the question, how's that working for you? Do you have a hope? Yeah, we do. And this is not all there is. Um, and I'm not saying it's easy. You know, we go through stuff too. But we get up in the morning and we take those steps of faith. And it's amazing what God does, what God shows us. Um, I don't know if that really answered your question or not. Okay, let me do. Let me just do one more, and we'll close for the day. Anybody else? And I don't have all the answers. I know that I don't have all the. But I'm giving you the best I got. Sorry. You're the vessel. First. No. No. It's no church program. Um, this is a tool. The resources we have in this building, we have a lot of resources, but ultimately, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your life is the vessel. Your life in Christ is the vessel. When you came to Christ, if you're a Christian and you came to Christ that first time and, and you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you got on board the life that God has designed for you. And together we encourage each other to continue that. And that, that doesn't mean everybody's going to be a monk or everybody's going to be a Sunday school teacher or a song leader or a preacher. No, it's, it's, it's that you, you live out the design that God has created for you, who you are in him. And there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. He doesn't condemn you when you, when you mess up. 
Paul said there is no condemnation. There is conviction, but there's no condemnation. And we're going to mess up and, and, and make mistakes, and sometimes we just are outright rebellious. But that doesn't take us out of the embrace of Jesus. Um, there is church discipline, yes, discipline in the body, for the sake of creating the person God wants us to be, but not to exclude us from what God's doing in this church. Um, that's called grace. And if it's grace in something else, if it's, if it's and the, the, the Pharisees didn't get this, if it's doing all this stuff in order to appease an angry God, that's not Christianity. That's Judaism, and that's Islam. If it's about loving God and being who we are in Christ and pleasing God, that's Christianity. And it's all based on grace. By grace are ye saved through faith, not of works like the Pharisees, lest any man should boast, and they were boasting. It was meant to be a relationship-driven experience. God raised up Abraham. Abraham had 12 sons. His relationship with his sons shared the story of God. You don't have doctrine and and all of that kind of things till centuries later. Yeah. It was an experience of a, a faith journey of a people when they started becoming like the rest of the world, remember they wanted, to, they wanted their own king? All the other nations are doing this. All the other nations have power, so we want that too. We want to be a nation too. So they became the nation of Israel when they were supposed to be the ongoing people of God to bring others to the knowledge of the one God. So... Well, I'm going to hang around after service because I know some of this is challenging. I get that. But believe me, the Spirit preaches it to me before I share with you. And so, uh, and I'm not, you know, I can be completely wrong. I don't think I am. I think there's a biblical foundation for what I'm sharing with you. But I, I would be willing to talk with you more about this anytime that we get together and you hear a message and there's something that I need to clarify or a challenge or what, that's fine. We can talk through those things. All right, let's stand together and we'll have prayer together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can come together as your people and just share our, our thoughts, our questions, our answers. Um, Lord, I, I thank you that we can do that in such a way that is redeeming and in a way that is non-threatening, that we can together as a church share this same vessel and move forward as, as you seek to uh, reveal your truth to us, greater truths, deeper 
awareness. We thank you, Lord, for uh, everyone that's, that's come out this morning. I pray, God, that there will be something in what we share today that will be a takeaway you know, for all of us as we move into this week. Help us to break huddle with the assurance of your presence and take your gospel into our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you're dismissed. Thank you.